Welcome to Vision Drip, a podcast designed to give you a steady drip of our vision, mission, and DNA to establish and refine the gospel culture at Sacred City Church. I'm your host, Pastor Sam Schmidt, church planter and pastor of Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. I am so excited to have you with me as I hope this podcast helps to equip you as a disciple of Jesus in the everyday rhythms of life as we set out to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. Not only do I hope that this podcast helps you grow, but it would grow your affections for Jesus. So let's dive into this episode of Sacred City Vision Drill. Welcome into Sacred City Vision Drip. Here is your first full episode of 2022. And there's a, a potential here that I might get a little long-winded. I got some notes in front of me that I'm kind of reading from and referencing to here. Uh, but mostly this is coming off the dome. Um, and, and, and what I wanted to do um, is kind of lay the foundation for our uh, the 2022, the, the year that we're, we're making this motto. This is our, our motto here of Feast to Flourish. We're we're bellying up to the table of God's word, and we are stuffing our faces full. Uh, and when we when we do that, we find that we will flourish, um, as Psalm one uh, references. Um, and so, w- one of the things that I want to talk about as we approach the word of God is the manner in which that we approach the word of God, uh, which is important. Uh, it's not just a matter of of coming to the Word of God in order to understand what it says, though that is very important, or coming to the Word of God to understand how to apply which that is very important, but there is also, just even in the way that we approach, there is a very important factor that we must lean into to read our Bible as Christians. That's really important. Not to not to read our Bibles as uh, maybe like an academic skeptic where we're reading from a critical perspective, trying to catch the loopholes, trying to find the places in, the, in scriptures where um, scripture supposedly contradicts itself, which when you, uh, when you give yourself to real biblical study, you'll find that, um, that, that doesn't happen. Um, interestingly, um, at least not when you understand it as scripture is meant to be understood. Um, other ways that we come to it is, is maybe more, um, you know, it's more like the, uh, like a take it or leave it approach, very subjective. It's it's like um, Thomas Jefferson uh, was not a Christian, and he was known for um, having a Bible, which uh, he would clip out the bits that he did not agree with. And so there, there's a way that we can have this selective reading when it comes to Scripture of like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll read and think about the stuff that I agree with already, but um, I, 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 you know, the stuff that I don't necessarily agree with, I'm just going to toss out and say that's not not that's not for me, um, and and there's a grave error in that, um, and so what I want to do is is just kind of talk about the way in which we approach the Word of God, and I think that this this also describes the fundam- fundamental posture of Christians, and I think the way that we approach the Word of God, and not just my opinion, but this is the way that you approach the Word of God, that you ought to if you are a Christian, this is the way that Christians approach the Word of God, is with the fundamental posture of submission. That's it. The fundamental posture of Christians as we approach the Word of God and as we live our life is that of submission. 
Um, and so we come in order to place ourselves under. Uh, we don't read the Bible. We let the Bible read us. Okay, that, that's how a Christian reads it. It's not like we take it in and sort of uh, decipher or, or run it through our own little codex of, of what seems fitting and right to me or what's my standard. No, no, no. We let the Bible determine that for us. That is what it means to submit to God and His Word. And uh, as I say that, as I say the fundamental posture of Christians is that of submission, um, there's the feedback that I can anticipate is, well, what, I thought we were supposed to be free. It's for freedom we've been set free, right? There, there's, the, that's what we want. We want to be you know, free. And, and here's the deal is there is no such thing as a free man. Like there's no such thing as an absolutely free man. The the idea of absolute freedom uh, is a farce. It, it it's the the um, the purest uh, libertarians' pursuit of total freedom or no rules or total whatever that is. It, it's a fool's errand. You can't do it. It's it's actually impossible. It's not just that our system is set up to not allow that. It even if we could do that, you can't do it <laughs> uh, because you are trying trying to achieve um, something. Like to have no rules, it's it's a new kind of tyranny. It's it's a new kind of rule. To have no rules is a kind of rule, and, and the tyranny of this it, this absolute freedom is lawlessness and destruction. It just doesn't work. There's no way. Can you imagine if if like the rules of nature just stopped? You know, the common grace, like things like gravity, uh, just stopped working. No, everything would fall apart, right? It, it's it's law. The lawlessness no. It leads to destruction. Um, and so in that same way, there, there's no such thing um, as a free man in an autonomous self in that you belong only to yourself. Every single person throughout time and space, throughout history, from top to bottom, um, inside and outside, has been submitting to something or someone. Or in other words... Everyone at some point, not even just at some point, everyone at all points is a slave of something. Everyone is subjected to something. Everyone has a Lord, okay? And this is something that, you know, like as Christians, I think we tend to like maybe back away from a little bit when we say that Jesus is Lord, like, oh, well, you know, you weren't a Christian and you didn't have a Lord, and now when you become a Christian, you have a Lord. No, actually, um, the invitation of Christianity is to actually submit to a good Lord instead of submitting to an evil Lord. So everybody who is outside of Christ right now is currently submitting to some kind of a tyrant that makes Kim Jong Un look like a, you know, a, a kid's afternoon at a bouncy house or something. It looks like fun comparatively to the kind of tyranny that they're living under. And maybe it's not explicit in the moment, but eventually, if you believe in eternity, which Christians do, it will become very obvious, right? And so th there is this, there is goodness in proclaiming Jesus is Lord. And so the reality of everyone living in obedience, well, not just that they have a Lord, but they actually live in obedience to the Lord, means that you are um, a doulos, that you are a slave of that Lord. Okay, now the word doulos is used um, 
a lot in scripture and, and and a lot of times we tend to water it down and back away because um it the, the word doulos means slave and so there's that strong connotation of of there's clearly a master and a servant um and, and what we tend to do master and slave is what we kind of tend to do is, is neuter that word just a little bit in our english and sometimes neuter it a lot um, by boiling it down to a servant or or something along those lines that sort of minimize the dynamic of authority and submission and so when we, um, as, as we speak about individuals, it's, it's not a question of if you are a slave, but rather what you are a slave to. Um, and, and really, when you boil it down, there are only two lords to choose from, okay? There's only two options. You are either a, a, a slave to Christ or a slave to the devil. In Romans 16, 16, Paul says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart, okay, that's interesting, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death." But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you see it quite plainly here. You are either a slave to sin or you are a slave to God, to Christ. And and um, it. it it's crazy that the outcomes here that 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 Paul lays out is if you serve um, Jesus, if you serve God, if you're slave to God, then you inherit. It leads to sanctification, which is uh, the the uh, beautification of you, right? Of becoming uh, you becoming more like Christ, and then he says uh, sanctification and of uh, and its end, eternal life, right? And then he says. On the other side of that, you submit to the Lord of sin, right? The Lord of the flesh, the Lord of idolatry. I mean, let's say it this way, pagan gods, right? Which is what any God is that sets itself up apart from Christ. So anything that is not Jesus, anything that is not um, the triune God is a pagan God, okay? And so you're either submitting yourself to the true God or the pagan God. You're either submitting yourself to um, some sort of idol or you're submitting yourself to Jesus, true God of true God, begotten, not made, one in being with the Father, right, according to the Nicene Creed. Um, and so those are the, really the only two options. You either submit and obey Jesus, right, which is also, you go back to that, that passage in Romans 16. It's, it's all wrapped up in there. It talks about obedience, um, obedient from the heart as a standard to the standard of the teaching which you've been committed, right? So there, there's an obedience. You submit and obey Jesus, which will lead to righteousness and eternal abundant life. Or you submit to the tyranny of anything else, which is anti-Jesus, and you will perish under that cruel tyranny. Now, here's why this matters. Here's why we care about this. And here's why, like, this, 
these ideas, um, we have to lean into them, uh, especially if our mission at Sacred City is to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. Because submission to Christ brings restoration. Submission to Christ restores the created order and intent that God had. So when God created the world, he said it was good. It was good. Like he makes it all and says it's good and looks at, he makes man and says it's very good. Now, we're sitting underneath the curse of sin, right? The tyranny of sin is afoot. A um, we, we are under attack in a lot of ways, spiritually speaking. Um, and, and what submission to Christ does, well, so and you get swept up in the ways of the world. Paul talks about that in, in Ephesians chapter 2, going along according to the patterns of the, of the world, uh, Romans 12. Um, he talks about that. Like we, we, get, we just get pulled under with the fall. And when we submit to Christ, we, we are, there is an exodus from that downward spiral. And, and in your life and among the church, among the saints, among the believers, um, we start to see order being restored. We start to see goodness reemerging from what was originally created good. We see this within our relationships. We see this in the work that we do. Uh, we see this in, in the way that we serve, the, the way that we live on mission. And what happens is eventually, as you get enough Christians uh, who are committed to the submission of Jesus in their lives, uh, it starts to leak out into the city. It starts to create this alternative gospel culture that provides a better narrative and a more compelling story than the than the whatever the 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 mainstream culture offers, right? Because the mainstream culture is what they're doing is they're submitting to a false lord, um, a, a less than lord, a a lord that will be made at one point a, a footstool um, to the true lord. And so as the culture submits to sin and the flesh and these pagan gods and idolatries, it's always going to bring chaos. It always will continue um, to, to unravel. It'll perpetuate the downward spiral of the fall. It, it's a clumsy attempt um, at a, unraveling the, the beautiful created order that God had made. Um, and, and it's always going to bring chaos. And so really the, the two questions is, um, what do you want? Do you want do you want Christ or do you want chaos, right? Like, and, and what you submit to is going to determine the answer to that question. In fact, that like thinking about the, the unraveling of creation, the apocalyptic literature that, that is sprinkled throughout Old Testament into New Testament, right? Not just Revelation, but you see it um, in Ezekiel, you see it um, in uh, Zechariah, you see the, these apocalyptic parts of Scripture that are talking about a reversal of the created order. Well, at the core of that, that reversal of the created the, the, the core of that, at the core of, of the destruction of creation is due to, right, submitting to false gods, and so as Christians, we, by nature, by name, uh, to be a Christian means you are submitting to the real Lord, the real God, the real King. Um, and to not be a Christian means that you're submitting to something else. And that really boils it down to this, that there are only two kinds of people in the world. If you, if you really want to boil it, boil it down, there are only two kinds of people in the world. There are Christians who rightly submit to Christ as Lord and King, and there is everybody else who doesn't. Everybody else who submits to some other false Lord. Now, when we talk about this submission of Christians, um, not only is there a difference when we, we sort of differentiate Christians from, from pagans, um, uh, there, 
there's not only a difference in what people are submitting to, but there is a difference in the caliber, the quality, the motivation, and the kind of their submission. Um, it, it, let me just touch on this real quick. So pagan submission tends to be conditional. It, it's kind of fickle. Um, and it's motivated typically by by the self. Um, and, and it really surfaced, I think, in our culture. And, it, and it, there could be many, many more of these things, but this I'm just letting some things flow out of my mind here. But um, it's typically motivated by, by these two main things. One, it's a question of does this idol, does this pagan god, does this false lord that I'm, I'm submitting to, does it feed my desires? Now, our, desi- our desires are corrupted, right? Ephesians, again, going back to Ephesians, it's just fresh in my, my mind because we, we just finished it up earlier. Well, at the end of, of 2021, finished up going through there. But Paul talks about how our desires have been corrupted. Um, and, and so it's not a matter of, uh, they're, they're, I'm not trying to uh, please my good desires, um, which they initially started out good, but then have, like, for example, as an example, the desire to be loved. Right, um, that is a good desire. God created human beings with a desire to be loved, and ultimately, that desire is meant to be fulfilled in in God. Right, to find that true love from God, and then, of course, he, He's given us uh, relation. He made us relational creatures, so we find love in relationships like marriage and 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 among our, our parent child relationships and and gospel friendships and things in the church, things of that nature. But that desire for love gets corrupted by sin, and I start going to other places to feed that love. Um, and, and, and typically it's like a cheap kind of love, like in in terms of pleasure, I want to go for a a one night stand. I want to, uh, I want to sleep with who, whoever, uh, I feel validated by That's what love offers is a a sense of validation. So I want that thing. I'm going to chase it. I'm going to go after it, um, by any means necessary, except for the, the only place that will actually deliver that, uh, to fulfill that desire that I actually have that got implanted in me. So I'm going to go anywhere else that feeds it. And then I'm going to go there until it doesn't feed anymore, and then I'm going to switch over uh, to something else. So whether that's a new person, uh, a new hobby, whatever that thing is, and and you have kind of you, you kind of swap one idol out for um, another in a sense, right? But really, it's it's still the same. It's all it's all pagan. It's all uh, anti Jesus. And the other thing, so like it's, that first motivation is: does it feed my corrupted desire? The other one. Um, is more of a utilitarian approach of does it work, right? Th- this idea of well, it works for me. So this this thing that I'm I'm believing in, or this thing that I'm committed to, whether it's some kind of philosophy or or even just like a you know a, a backyard brew sort of uh, m- mantra for life, I- I'm gonna say well, does it work? It works for me. Um, but here's the deal: is it might work for you for now, but at some point it, it's not going to. At some point. Like that, that utilitarian approach, not only it's just, there's an expiration date on everything because the times are always changing. Unless you're principled, unless you have, um, literally eternal principles, you will not be able to maintain the same sort of allegiance to that Lord. You're going to flip flop. There's just a fickleness to it. Um, so it's going to work for you until it doesn't. Um, and, and let me just save you some some despair here, because because I know that that's one of the things, especially among blue collar folks. That I think we've got a lot of blue collar folks in our our community in our city. Um, 
it's it's like it works, so I'm going to keep with it. Like being a good person works. Well, no, well, it, it's, uh, you, what by what standard? Eventually, that that thing, that idea, there's going to be holes that get punched in it, um, and and you're going to be looking for something else. And so, let me just save you some of the the time here and, and the despair, and tell you that whatever you're saying works right now that isn't Jesus. That thing's already been time tested. Um, it's been time tested beyond your lifetime, and it did not pass any quality control, and it will not in the future either. Um, and so, that that's like some of the just that's kind of like the quality of of pagan submission. It's very fickle, um, and and so we we just sort of bounce from thing to thing. And so when when we submit to um, whatever that pagan idea is, whatever that that idol is, um, if if it's trending in the direction of no, if, if those things don't work anymore, or if it doesn't feed my my desire, um, our submission becomes temperamental. It shifts from something else that that maybe you know we might change the the color of our shirt, but really we're we're still um, on the same boat. We're we're it's like trading the Delta variant for the Omicron variant. It's it's the same it's the same thing. It's just a different mutation. It's still pagan. Whereas Christian submission is different from the pagan submission. Christian submission is dictated not ultimately by does it meet my desires. Christian submission is not ultimately dictated by does it work. Uh, Christian submission is is solely based in the fact that Jesus has been revealed to us by God as Lord and King. It's, it's solely based on that revelation. Right, and it happens to be that in God's good kindness to us, that there is um, the fulfillment of desires. Though at times it's not exactly how we expect these desires to be fulfilled, um, and it and it does, you know, it says that that when Jesus is our King, um, there is utility there. It does work. It's you know we've talked about it before, um, how, how to live life with the grain. Right, that that's what it is. It it, it does work, and sometimes it doesn't necessarily work. Or it, sometimes it feels like it's not working, but it is working in the long, uh, long time frame of things. And so those things aren't the primary primary driving forces. The primary driving force behind Christian submission is the reality, which it is a reality. It is true, regardless of if you believe it or not. Is that Jesus is Lord, and by God's grace, Christians believe that Jesus is Lord, and we submit to that truth, and by God's grace and kindness, we benefit from that. Now, this this reminds me of the the um, the little quote that C.S. Lewis makes um, when he says that aim at heaven and get earth thrown in, aim at earth and you get neither, right? That same kind of principle, the same concept is at work here, right? If, if you're looking, if you're, if you're looking just to find pleasure and to meet your desire, if you're looking just for something that works and you, you're going to miss Jesus, right? If that's solely it. But if you, if your aim is Jesus, if your, your devotion, your, your submission is to Jesus, those other things get thrown in with it. And so I want to say that that Christian submission, when we see that Jesus is Lord, is marked by by two things, which um, it's more than that, but but certainly not less than this. And those two things is, first of all, um, it's wholehearted submission and it's joyful submission. 
Um, let me unpack these a little bit. When I say wholehearted submission, I, I think that this works on two, uh, like on two different wavelengths. We can think of the consistency of submission, so um, wholehearted, wholeheartedness as far as um, o- over the the span of time that that there's a consistency here. Um, whereas unlike the the fickle and wavering pagan submission that that kind of ebbs and flows, Christian submission is resolute. Christian submission. Is is locked in right at all times. It stays the same, um, even even when we are at the point where um, we are being called to submit in a certain way, and we may not understand it, or even possibly disagree with it. Christian submission gets invoked right there. In fact, you, you think about submission. So, um, submission. I'll say it like this: submission is invoked in the face of disagreement just as courage is invoked in the face of fear. So it's one thing to say, yeah, I submit um, and only submit in the times when I agree with something, right? So like, for example, with my kids, um, we, we, as, as parents, we're training our kids to submit to our God-given authority. It's not, it's not an option. It's not something that, that you know, we, we say, hey, are you wanting to submit to it? No, no, no. You're called to submit by God. We have that authority um, to call you to submit to our what is hopefully godly authority. And we can, this is also going to, you know, that statement itself is going to be its own podcast here pretty soon. Um, but, but it's one thing for our kids to submit when they agree with us. Okay. Okay. Hey, you know, why don't, why don't you, let me, what's something, Hey, why don't you, um, take a break from, I don't know. I'm making stuff up. Hey, why don't you, why don't you go outside and play? Okay. That's fun. Um, Go outside and play. That's that's an order. That that's a a call to obedience, and, and you know if your kid likes the outdoors, that's an easy thing to submit to. That's an easy easy thing to say. Okay, mom. Okay, dad. Going outside, but you tell your kids, say, hey, um, you need to eat your vegetables, or you need to take a shower because you stink, or whatever it might be, and they don't want to do it, and th- there's protest. Um, that's not submission. That's not submission. In that moment, there is no submission happening, and it, and it get you know it's obvious in those moments where um, they disagree with the the whole concept of the first place or the whole command of the first place. So that's not submission. And one of the things that that Beck and I do um, is we have taught our kids, and it's it's for them it's rote, but I'm hoping that it takes takes uh, root in their heart here, um, and it and translates into other places in their life. When we tell them to do something that they don't want to do, we're we don't shut down their protest necessarily and say, you know, come in with like a real authoritarian sort of, you know, iron hammer. Um, one of the things that we say is like, okay, that's fine that you don't agree with that. Um, but you need to accept it. And so we've taught our kids to say, and and we, you know, when we get into those moments, say, uh, here's what you say. I don't like it, but I accept it. That's what submission looks like. I don't like it. I don't, but I accept it. I don't understand it, but I'll do it. Um, I don't like it. I don't agree with it but I'm going through with it because that's what the posture of submission is. So those things that are, you know, submit that that's where the rub comes. Submission is always invoked when there is this, this disagreement. Um, and so Christian submission is at all times and in everything, uh, we are bringing our life under the Lord of Jesus at all times and in everything, which brings us to the second part of this is the scope of submission. So when we say that we submit to Jesus, it isn't just that we submit to Jesus 
um, you know, to get to heaven. One time we said a prayer and that was our submission to Jesus, or it's not just that we submit on Sunday mornings, um, and coming and, you know, worshiping and doing that. And that, that sounds like something that Jesus, the Lord would want us to do, which it is. Um, it goes beyond that. It, it, it goes into everything, everywhere at all time, what you do with your wallet, what you do with your entertainment, how you think about politics, what you do in the bedroom, um, what you, what, how you think about and how you implement education, um, your relationships, economics, social dynamics, every single aspect, every facet of our life is meant to be in submission to Jesus. So I, I can't have like, it's like an oxymoron to say, yeah, I'm a Christian who submits to Jesus, but I hold this, this stance on same-sex marriage or, or I hold this stance on abortion. That doesn't work. That is, that is not in submission to Jesus. And so one of the ways, well, the way that we learn what submission to Jesus looks like, because, because at this point, you know, it's like, okay, tell me what I need to submit to. Like what, what does submission look like? Well, the way that we find out what it looks like is by reading the word of God. Um, it's by being students of the word, which is one of the reasons why Feast to Flourish is, is I think, such a, a huge emphasis for our church is that it, that's what's going to compel us into this whole life submission where there's, there's unity there, there's, there's flourishing there, there's joy there. Um, and, and that comes when we are students of the word of God, devouring the word of God. Now, when we don't take that posture, when we don't devour the Word of God, when we don't just consume it and, and let the Bible completely reorient um, how we think about everything, we, we make a common mistake. And, and I think this is really, really, really unfortunately common um, among, uh, uh, I would say, the vast majority of evangelicals, is that when, we, when, when it comes to saying, hey, we need to think biblically about something, um, we assume that we know what, what that means. Like we assume, we make assumptions that, oh yeah, I already know what that means. Um, but but in reality, what, what a lot of the times happens is that we have unknowingly imported some sort of value, idea, belief, philosophy that is adopted from a pagan worldview, and then we baptize it with a couple of proof texts that are taken out of context or um, that are just... That, that are done in ignorance of other passages. And so we get this very, and I think that's really evident, um, where, where you have Christians on so many, like, there's just a lot of disagreement among Christians. And now there is freedom. There, um, what do you call it? There is Christian freedom. There, there, there are matters of conscience um, that, that the, it varies from person to person. But a lot of, of the division and a lot of, of the... the um, disagreements on the church are not a matter of personal freedom and liberty. Um, it, it's just, it comes down to a lack of biblical understanding. It comes down to a lack of a biblical worldview. Um, and, and, and this, and what we end up with are, are Christians who are waving rainbow flags, Christians who are telling boys, well, maybe they're not telling them, but, but they're not, um, arguing back when boys are told that they can be girls and vice versa. This is how we get Christian voters um, who back emphatically and back um, a, a candidate who condones the murder of hundreds of thousands of babies each year. This is how you end up with Christians that get behind socialistic and Marxist ideas that 
are littering our educational institutions and damaging the fabric of our republic by going after the household, right? Going after the family unit. It's terrifying if you see what's really going on. This is how feminism ransacks uh, the the potential of our future young men, our young boys that are growing up, while uh, the masses of of man-child, timid men stand on the the sidelines idle, not saying anything because they're afraid they're going to get canceled or get labeled as some sort of misogynistic, uh, bigoted guy. Like There are all kinds of things that are going on in our society that are big deals. Um, big, big things that are uh, carry serious consequence. That if we, ha- as Christians, if the church really uh, rooted itself in a biblical worldview, we would actually have some f- firm footing to stand on, and actually a voice. We'd have something really, uh, really powerful to say. Um, and and unfortunately, instead of that, we instead of having Bible believing Christians, like really, really, like people who are submitted to the word of God in every area. We have Christians, evangelicals, who um, find themselves being swayed by a public opinion of, of the culture. Um, we find themselves um, wanting to sort of compromise. It talked about a little bit this about this um, last Sunday, I believe. Just like e- even you see this in the mainstream denominations of pandering to the cultural uh, ideology, the cultural zeitgeist of the moment, uh, the ideas, the ideals, the the social imaginary, and, and and to do so means that you have to forsake a biblical worldview, and it's it's sad, and and it, and if this continues, uh, the the church well will. We'll, and maybe this is what the Lord's wanting to do is bring it down to a remnant to be rebuilt again, which, you know, that, that, that theme in itself has connections to where the sermon series on Sunday, where we kick off in, in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, is really going is rebuilding from the room. Now, um, it is, so this is interesting is that in that story, and I'll give you a little teaser here. Um, hopefully it won't take too much more time. Um, is, is that what's happened is the people of God have lost their sense of identity. They've lost their their distinctiveness, um, and, and really the nail in the coffin of this was that they had a, a series of bad kings that did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, right? And it just was this continual thing of of dummy kings doing dummy things, um, and the whole country because of that. When the leadership, you know, is is the leadership sets the trend for the people, and guess what happens? The people start following the steps of the king, and well, before you know it. Uh, everybody's sort of forsaken God, or there's only been a, a small remnant of people who have stayed true and faithful. Um, w- what happened then was um, the 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 nation of, uh, of Israel collapsed, right? It, d- it was divided, kingdom divided, and then eventually they were sort of picked off by the neighboring countries, and then they're taken captive, excuse me, into Babylonian exile, and they're they're removed from their home. So they're literally taken from the city of Jerusalem, and it's like hundreds of miles away from their home on foot. They're dragged away by, um, well, let's see, Nebuchadnezzar, I think was the one that was responsible for that. If I get all my names right. And, and they were taken away from the land that was promised to them. So the promised land, the land that, that, that God promised Moses and and Abraham, uh, they were taken away from that. They were taken away from the temple, which is where God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. They were taken away from the place where they could worship rightly and offer sacrifices to God. Um, and then the, their sort of their culture, their um, which would have been sort of a theocratic culture, though they did have a king, um, but it was very much 
their uh, their polis, their their governmental structure was very much um, in tandem with with the religious views. All of that com- comes crumbling down, and what you're left with are the ruins. and And when God um, stays true to his, his promise to to not forsake his people in exile, but to bring them back and to rebuild the temple, um, what what started with is like to rebuild the, the nation, uh, what started is, it starts with rebuilding the temple. It starts with, we'll see, with Ezra. It starts by, well, actually, uh, what's his name? Um, golly, Babel, something. Uh, all these names, guys. We'll get to it. But he, he starts off by by building an altar, right? So they can start offering sacrifice. So the first thing that gets brought back into um, focus for the people of God is right worship. And then Ezra comes with the word of God. And so there's this recommitment to the law, the Torah, right? The, the prophecy that, that's going on, the word of the Lord of the prophets of that time. There, there's a, a recommitment to the word of God. And then the outworking of that later on with um, Nehemiah is the rebuilding of the city. So from, from the heart of the temple, from from the altar um, to the place the place of worship, moving outward to the city, God is restoring, rebuilding this this well, what what through the lens of the gospel, what is a Christian society, a Christian culture, um, and so as Christians, we have to. This is where we're at. We're kind of standing in the rubble right now. There, there's a lot of ways that we're standing in um, among the ruins, and, and God is calling us to rebuild. Um, and and like Ezra, what happens is, is this recommitment. The way that we learn to um, submit to, to be faithful to the lordship of Jesus, is by being committed to the whole counsel of His Word. The whole counsel, um, not just to the New Testament. We love the New Testament. Um, it, it gives us revelation of the new covenant. But without the Old Testament, none of the New Covenant stuff would make sense. And so when we dump the Old Testament, we are shooting ourselves in the foot because we, we are missing out on a, a, a slew of biblical principles, timeless principles, eternal principles that teach us um, how to live with the grain um, that do not change, which those principles get applied into each unique situation and context. So the way that we grow in our... our uh, the, the way that we learn to wholeheartedly submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is through uh, the Word of God, which, again, is why we're calling it Feast to Flourish. We want to feast on the Word of God. So we, in order to submit to Jesus, I have to know what the Word says. I have to know what I am being called to submit to. I have to know what submission looks like. Now, um, discipleship is this... Um, it, it's it's an increasing awareness. It's, a crease, it's increasing devotion to the lordship of Jesus. It's, it's an increasing submission to that. Um, and so th- it's not like you become Christian and boom, right there, you got it all figured out. And, you know, everything is, no, 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 we're, we're growing in our submission. We're growing in our understanding of the lordship of Jesus. And so there's grace for ignorance, but, but we are not meant to be left in a place of ignorance. Paul talks about this. Hey, I've, I've you've given I've given you spirit uh, the spiritual milk, right? I've given you the the basics, but I want you to move on to the real meat. I want you to have the digestible stuff. And so our ignorance is meant to be massaged out by careful study of God's word. Um, and, and so it's it, this comes down to a matter of wisdom. Submitting to Jesus as Lord is the wise thing to do. Fools don't do that. Fools do not submit to the lordship of Jesus. The wise do. 
And so um, just here in summary here real quick, I, I have two options. I can either submit to Jesus or I can submit to any other false god, which is anti-Jesus. Um, the way that I learn how to submit to Jesus or the, uh, the way that I learn what that looks like is through the Word of God. And then the, the next question is, well, how do I come to rightly understand the whole counsel of the Word of God in order to submit to the Lordship of Jesus? The, the answer to that is through instruction. Paul tells parents, fathers, uh, to, to um, raise your children in fear and admonition, in the instruction of the Lord. So there's instruction. We have to be taught. Now, um, if you know what that looks like in one area, good. Teach somebody else. We are all, disi- we are all disciples and disciple makers. That, that's how discipleship works. Um, I'm being discipled. At the same time, I'm discipling other people. That's part of my discipleship. And so there's instruction that has to come. Now, with instruction, it's not just that you're a blank canvas. We, we all are operating out of different faith assumptions at all times. At all times, you have some kind of faith assumption, and some of them are not true. Some of them are false, and some of them are wrong. Through instruction, it's not just a matter of giving you um, new things or new ideas. There's also an aspect of correcting what is untrue or unbiblical. And so instruction is going to carry this corrective aspect and also this this sort of um, instructional new, um, uh, you can even say like training aspect that's going to go on into that. Um, and I would say that that the primary place where God intends to instruct his people, and, and listen, it's not isolated here for sure because you see it already in the household and you can say there's a whole other slew of places where this instruction is going on. But the primary place of instruction, where it starts here and trickles down, is with the church. It's with the teaching of the apostles, with the faithful exegesis of God's scriptures, specifically the teaching of the elders, which in in Ephesians chapter 4, it it says that God has given um, the church, uh, the teachers, the evangelists, the the apostles, the prophets, um, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and for the building up of, of the church. And so here it is, the instruction, the place of instruction is within the church of, of biblically qualified um, elders and those who are um, commended by elders to teach. Um, and so it is the job of the church, it's my job as an elder, to package up biblical teachings for you. That's what I'm doing every Sunday. That's what I do. I, I sit in my study um, for uh, close to a dozen hours every week um, studying the Word of God. Um, learning from the scholars, learning from uh, church history, and packaging something up for you so that you can understand what the Bible is teaching, um, specifically the principles of the Bible, because those are the timeless ones. Those are the eternal principles of Scripture. That's what the biblical principles are. And then, um, given our certain... um, certain... What what am I trying to say? The the certain moment in time, the circumstance... Um, how to apply those principles. And so I'm, I'm packaging this up for you, and then I'm putting it in your lap so that you can unpack them later, so that you can go home with your wife, with your husband, and you can unpack them around the dinner table. You can go and you can unpack them with your kids that, that you have um, because you have been trained, you've been instructed through biblical teaching, through biblical qualified um, elders to, to take that into your homes and to work out uh, and to go into the Word of God. And so that's what it looks like wholeheartedly. It covers, that's the scope of it. There's this, uh, there's a commitment to it, a consistency to it. In fact, let me take you back to this, um, just to kind of back that up, because in that passage in Romans 16, um, he says, uh, let me find it real quick. 
Okay, but thanks be to God. So you were once a slave of, of sin, which is going to bring death, but now you're, you're a slave of, of obedience to God, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. So there's that wholeheartedness. So it's not just a matter of, of, of lip service, of going through the motions, but from the heart, wholeheartedness. So become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you've been committed. So right there, you see this, the standard of teaching. What's he talking about? He's talking about the teaching of the apostles, the teaching of the church. Now, my job as a, as a it would be arrogant of me to stand up without... And, and present to you what is my opinion. Um, Lord willing, that doesn't happen. Now, I'm not saying that it can't happen, but m- my my commitment to you as an elder is to teach the, the whole counsel of God, not my opinion. Um, and so as I'm submitted to Christ, as I'm submitted to the Word of God personally, um, my, my commitment in that goes beyond to... Co- commending the word of God to you as it is, as it should be interpreted. So it's not just like, oh, it's my opinion. No, no, no. I'm tr- my job is to unpack the word of God to you so you would know what the word of God says so you can take it into your heart and into your life. Um, and so let's see, I'm, I'm, I'm on the home stretch here. Where are we at? Oh yeah, we're. The, I told you this was going to get a little lengthy. The last one. So the last thing. So initially I said, um, there are two qualities of, of Christian submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. One is wholeheartedly. All that was under that category. The second one is joyfully. Okay. It's a joyful submission. I kind of hinted at this before because it, submission to anything that is not Jesus is cruel and unrelenting. It will, maybe for a moment, give you some kind of pleasure, but it will destroy you. It will destroy your life. It'll destroy those around you. It, it will, it will, left left unchecked, it will, it can destroy society. Um, and, and it's because it's a tyrant. And if you want to go to North Korea and, and see um, the attitude and disposition of the people underneath the regime of uh, Kim, Kim Jong-un, or, well, which one is it? Kim Jong Un, Kim Jong Il, which one, whichever one it is. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. Anyway, they're not happy about it. They don't love it. There, there's no, there's no milk in the coolers at the grocery store. There's no bread. They're starving. They're, they're always running uh, the risk of, of of starvation. And man, Lord be with them, because that that's a that is a rough spot to be in. But that is just a, a picture. That's an illustration of what comes when we submit ourselves to the wrong thing, when we have the wrong ruler, the wrong Lord over us. Um, and so for Christians, it's a joyful submission because we know that Jesus is kind. Jesus is gentle. Jesus is loving. Jesus is, is, is full of grace and of truth. And so we have this joyful submission, um, even in the moments when we don't understand, even, even when... You know, I, I even when I don't agree with Jesus, even when I'm like, wait, this doesn't make sense to me, it doesn't compute, we still submit joyfully because Jesus, well, one, Jesus is wisdom. He, he's the personification of wisdom. So if you want to talk about living wisely, um, if you want to live wisely, the only way to do that successfully is to listen to Jesus. Um, secondly, Jesus is power. Jesus is, he says in Matthew 28, all have, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus, it, there's no, nothing above Jesus. He's over all things. He's the head of all things, the, the, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is the source, the power. Jesus is life. 
The reason why we submit to Jesus is because it is the way of righteousness. Um, the, the reason why we submit to Jesus is because Jesus is worthy of being submitted to. What other king bends and takes the position of a servant? Like, like what other? That's what he did at the cross. He, he became a slave. He became sin. He who knew no sin became sin. So that we who were steeped in sin, who were slaves to sin, could become the righteousness of God. So Jesus is worthy uh, of our submission because no other king rules and reigns the way that he does. And finally, Jesus is worthy of our submission, point blank, because Jesus is Lord. I mean, that could be the only reason why. Jesus is Lord, and because of that truth, he's worthy of our submission. And so Christians, the way that we approach life and submission to Jesus is, is to um, be wholeheartedly submitted, that everything, that, that the, our, our consistency of submission, that throughout all life, all throughout all things, and the scope of submission, that's, that's brought underneath of Jesus. Um, the other way, we do it joyfully. We don't do it with grit in our teeth. That, that's, not, that's not Christian submission. Now, there might be moments where it feels like that, but it, if that's what it's like, if your whole whole life, whole Christian life is marked by that sort of like, you know, clenched fist, gritted teeth, fine, I'll do it, that's not Christianity. You, you're, you're not submitting to the real Jesus because it's a joy and delight um, to submit to Jesus. And and so that same disposition that we have, right? That, 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 that fundamental position, the fundamental posture of Christians being that of submission, uh, to Jesus translates in how we come to our Bibles. We come to our Bibles to submit to it, to see what the Lord has to say and to hold on to it because the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And Jesus has an eternal kingdom and we begin living into that kingdom today, right now, as we submit to the Lordship of Jesus in all matters of life, in everything at all times. And so this is our commitment this year as we move into 2022, Feast to Flourish. We are trying to move into a better understanding of what it means to love Jesus and to submit to Jesus, to obey him and to honor him as the people of God.